Hi, this is the UX Grow Podcast, the podcast that helps people learn and grow in the UX design industry. I'm your host, Nick Mann. I'm here with another guest of season one, and that is Madeline Lay, the team lead on Logic Monitor's UX design team. Thank you so much for being here, Mally. All right. It's uh, great to be here, Nick. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's begin by tell us a bit about your background. How'd you get to the place you are today? Okay. So I started uh, in UX when I was like super young. I I think I was like, a, uh, how old was I? Um, I was like <laughs> 16, 17, roughly. And uh, everybody was like, I went to a pretty competitive STEM high school and everybody was like trying to figure out like, Hey, what do I want to do? What do I want to, what do you want to like do in college? What do you want to major? And then that's obviously a lot of pressure for a teenager. Mm -hmm. And I was a part of like my school's robotics team at the time, which had the same time commitment as a sport. So I like to think of it as a sport. Engineering should be a sport. Um, but <laughs> tangent aside, um, a lot of the people I had surrounded myself with and I was like focused on their hardware team and the documentation team. And so I thought like, hey, I really like being hands-on and like super technical and stuff. Maybe I'll be a mechanical engineer. And I kind of like just thought that for a while. And then when I was like looking for potential colleges and I was specifically looking for ones with really great engineering programs, because I think I like thinking in systems. I like thinking like how to solve problems and how to build things. That's, and I thought engineering would be perfect for me. I wasn't sure what type of engineering. I was thinking at probably mechanical or electrical mechanical because I had already I'd been hands-on with hardware and robots and mm -hmm. electrical because honestly my parents did electrical so that was like <laughs> yeah. the backup but I I was at Tufts University and they had come out with this um robot who was like focused on and I think this was in their human factors department who a robot who was like interactive and like focused I'm like oh that's kind of cool so I kind of did a little more research and being a and then I kind of like went into this like whole spiral of research on like what's the field where you get to interact with robots on like a more human level because I'd always have like I'd always have a I always had like this interest in like the mind and psychology I suffered from anxiety when I was like a young teenager and so that kind of like helped fuel my interest in like how the mind works and how people interact with each other it was mm -hmm. a way to help me deal with that and so I kind of like after doing a ton of research I fell into HCI and I'm like holy crap this is something that I want to do and I ended up looking for like applying to a ton of colleges to like learn more about HCI and um, learn how that translates into a career uh, during like senior year of high school I was very lucky to uh, work in to have my senior project in I should be specific having my senior project working in the Microsoft Research Department and their natural interactions department Unfortunately, due to NDA, I can't say much about like what I worked on, 
but that was that gave really exposed me to a lot of like user research I was conducting a lot of like hands-on user research making my own protocols um kind of doing the recruitment running synthesizing results and then presenting in front of an entire team and yeah that's mm -hmm. and then I ended up going to college uh went to UW local it's the local college of the state that I grew up in Washington and uh really fell in love with like and I thought I was going to be a UX researcher going into it so I was like maybe I'll just like go in with my undergrad and then I'll get my master's and then my PhD and then I kind of like fell into like after taking a few like design classes and really and starting to do like uh, more marketing work for some of the clubs that I participated in I really fell in love with the like visual aspect of UX design and I think that really was I'm rambling here but I think that was like kind of eye-opening because I had always kind of like had this artistic side I was like I'm just an okay artist uh, honestly like I can't I can I can paint okay like on this level my partner says I paint on the level of an eight-year-old but I, I, I think I'm also a better photographer than I am a painter, but I've always had this artistic side and UX design allowed me to combine that really like love for HCI and UX and that technical engineering kind of like mm -hmm. systems knowledge together and that really artistic side and I ended up falling into UX and that's how I got here. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. I I see quite a bit of myself too. I instead of uh, looking into engineering, I was in graphic design, and I felt I felt in love with that kind of the same way you did because there was a lot of I, the whole technology of the human understanding as well as the the artistic creativity that goes behind a lot of the designs and uh, decisions that are made. And you know, it's always just so fun to hear about other people's background stories about how they came to be because it's just so vast and creative about how we all come together and become, you know, these UX designers to be able to help people, especially because you uh, also a transition to more of a leadership role. So let's learn more about that. Yeah. So I had like like most people, um, I always like I here's the thing I never growing up I never really saw myself as much of like a leader I always knew that I was like kind of like an empathetic person where I would like always try to help people and really had like a, I had a passion for social entrepreneurship I still do to an extent through um my uh I'm involved in like a nonprofit where I work as an ESL uh TA on the side so that's that's something that I do and and that's kind of like that whole passion of just like trying to like uplift people and like build that it's like kind of the philosophy of like you can either give a man a fish or you can teach a man to fish and he'll feed himself for like forever so kind of like where I so my current at my role at my current company we started from like three people and then my uh then manager at the time he kind of noticed that I was like hey he was like hey you're you're leading a lot of like initiatives you're leading a lot of like 
um, design relatives. You're, you're doing a really good job with like coaching, like one of our associate designers who is now a senior designer. Um, why don't you like, let's, let's th talk about putting you on the management track and see, uh, where we can go from there. And I, so I kind of like started acclimating to kind of that leadership role. And one thing I've learned about like being a UX leader and I'm, so I'm a relatively junior UX leader, what, even though I've been in UX for, I would say like seven, seven years, eight years now, give or take. And mm -hmm. I, I, but I still consider myself a very junior leader. Like it's, I learned slowly that it's not necessarily a promotion per se. It's more of a job change. And mm -hmm. the it's definitely, I, it's definitely been more focused on those. A lot of UX designers, when they first start out, uh, they have to like, there's a lot of emphasis in like producing artifacts and like, like journey maps high fidelity mock-ups, wireframes, and like really learning those hard skills on like how to like think critically and mm -hmm. think about design problems. Well, when you transition into leadership and I, I will just give a big disclaimer that I'm still very much transitioning into leadership. So somebody who's a more experienced UX design manager may have a different perspective than I am, but kind of like when you transition to leadership, it's not necessarily a promotion. It's, it's a job change where instead of like those hard skills of like working on creating deliverables with like a mission team and stuff, uh, you really have to focus on like those soft skills. Like, okay, how do you delegate? How do you uh, deal with crisis and conflict? How do you deal with, um, how do you, how do you help someone who's like a little more junior and maybe isn't progressing the same way that you want them to be, but how do you help them uplift them? each other so that's that's definitely been a challenge to like adjust to and also balancing your work uh, with uh your person your work as a manager with your work as a designer right now because in my role right now I'm kind of like a player coach kind of mm -hmm. approach where I'm still leading a lot of design initiatives but I'm also like uh managing two other people so yeah I totally I see hope where that you... all made sense <laughs> Yeah, it, it does. It does. I t it totally makes sense. And I, I do feel you when you're in a new uh, position that you have not otherwise been into. It def definitely feels new, like you're constantly learning new things. And of course, there's a lot of feeling like, are you doing your best? Are you doing it correctly? And you how you mentioned, like, there's probably more experienced design uh, leaders that like, they would say like, oh, maybe you should do this or do that. But I will say is I think because of the UX industry is still so new and there's a lot of different ways people are learning and using UX design throughout all these coming years that I think that there's always something new to the table to learn from, especially if because you are coming from a, even like a UX design position. So I would, I would say that there's definitely is something that is very admirable about how you are going about your way through becoming a team uh, leader, even if you feel that you are a junior position, because now there is still that beginner mindset that you can easily tap into and continue to learn. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just because it's like you're transitioning from like a quote unquote more hard skill role to like a 
more soft skill role, that doesn't mean like you can't use that UX mindset, like solving UX problem, user experience problems, the way that you do that can also be applied to like solving team problems. Like why are two people not agreeing with the, just why are two people conflicting? Why are, um, how's this person uh, trajectory working? And how, how do you help them in a crisis? And I think it's just being really that cheerleader and that coach to help them succeed in their best goals. And you have to be, you have to be patient as a UX manager, I've met a lot of like UX managers who not just from my company, but like in other companies who kind of like don't have that patience where they kind of expect, I haven't really experienced that at my current company, thankfully, but they kind of, but other, I've seen some other UX design managers where they're like, I expect you to know this, know this right away, where as a manager, you kind of like you're gonna have to do some teaching and that's just Hmm. a given you're gonna have to like help even if they are a very experienced senior designer you're gonna have to help them learn okay what's the user experience for the product who's our main persona because a lot of some senior designers can even if they're coming in from like a b2b company to another b2b software company the use cases and the personas could be wildly different so you're gonna have to like acclimate you're gonna some people may not get it some people who are uh some you may manage people who are older than you who are kind of like set in your ways um so you're gonna have to be really patient about that so that's that's one thing that i say that is crucial that as someone who has had ux design managers and who's kind of like in the transition period one you need a ton of patience so yeah, I definitely feel you because there's uh so many different people come from different backgrounds because of that. So that's the reason why I'm like, yeah, patience is the name of the game. Like uh, I was a high school teacher for a year teaching web design. And you know, let me tell you, like trying to get these kids to be able to actually do their homework and actually be quiet. It's always been a challenge. But also at the same time, I think uh, a lot of what my work wasn't so much about teaching them web design was really getting them to believe that they can learn the web design. Oh, absolutely. But I think that also applies to like UX uh, leadership and UX management as well. Like I think I wouldn't be where I am today if I had not had a very encouraging uh, design manager. Uh, Well, he was a design director at my uh, current company. And he just kind of like, even though I think I was relatively junior at the time, he kind of like saw my potential. And he was like, I believe that you can be like a top UX designer who can tackle on anything. And I think just having someone in your corner and you got to be in their corner all the time as like a UX leader that if you, I've seen UX manager, I have heard stories from my friends of UX design managers who don't necessarily have that back, their back. And not only does it um, influence their work as a UX designer, but it kind of like influences the team culture as well. A good design, a good UX design manager can really make or break. So Mm -hmm. And then, so it's like all about being aware of like your weaknesses, like for me, uh, and sometimes some things that made you strong as a UX designer can make you terrible as a UX leader. Like 
I am very detail oriented. I will spend hours mm -hmm. <laughs> just like pixel pushing in order to make sure every single thing like is unified, all the interactions are great. But sometimes for like my direct ports, it can feel like micromanaging. And regardless of what industry you're in, no one likes a micromanaging manager. So I kind of like, that's one of the hardest things that I've like dealt with in my transition is that just like trying to like trust their trust them in the mm -hmm. process provide encouraging get a uh, guiding to like okay where the, where can they get to like the detail orientedness without me like micromanaging so yeah i think that's a very important lesson to remember you know <laughs> because when we're yeah that's it's like hard rooting yourself to be care uh, to care about the details because that's what sets uh, apart from like the good and the really great ux designers and that's a really good point of like, is that a really good skill to have for for leaders? Like, hmm, you know, instead of you now you're no longer like working inside a business, you're working on the business, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, and it definitely also affects the culture as well. Like, as a UX, I'm I'm so like I feel a lot of pressure as a UX leader at times because it's like, okay, how I like conduct stuff as an individual contributor is like one thing, but then as a leader, you kind of set the culture for your design culture. And the last thing, and you want to like make it, and you, it is, it's like a good and a bad thing because you get to set the design culture um, for your team. Like if you have a real, if you've learned a lot and like kind of like experience, kind of have an idea of like what not to do, it's like, okay, this is the design culture that you want to do. You can either really make it like, like for my team, I personally like having like a very user research heavy kind of like design, design uh, culture where we're constantly trying out user, doing user research uh, to help validate ideas. We're experimenting with different methods of user research. But that's because I came from a very user research heavy background when before I became a designer and mm -hmm. still kind of am but I know a lot of other UX teams they're either like okay they're more like focused on like visuals they're more focused on like other like journey mapping but you really get to set the culture and that's a good thing but if you create a culture of micromanagement and really uh toxic vibes or like I mean, it's one thing to be healthily competitive. If it's like unhealthily competitive, then that's just like creating a really toxic culture. So it's a lot of pressure to like create a really good culture because you're like always in your head, like, oh God, am I just like doing this like thing to like, am I just like throwing on this movie night as like a band aid to like for something like deeper or is this going to really bring her? so <laughs> it's 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 a, it's a thought process so uh, hey if it, if it definitely makes you feel better a lot of people feel this way a lot of people do because that it's also a good thing to have to it well to extent but also because it allows you to identify your weaknesses and how you have a strive to to improve i think the people who would think oh i'm pretty good at this it comes naturally to me i don't think there's anything to improve those are the people that are definitely having issues and they just don't see it because they don't feel like there's a need to. 
Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> of course, for, like, being a UX designer is a lot in itself. And the, to manage that on top of that, of course, I believe it. Yeah. And I think it's like, there's like, because UX designers come from so many backgrounds. Another thing that I'm also struggling with is like, kind of like getting used to like people's like, um, design philosophies. Like there's some UX designers who are like amazing at thinking about the big picture. They, they have like a vision of how like their feature is going to work and how they're going to design it. But then maybe they're a little short on the details or maybe they're a little bit of an older UX designer. And <clears throat> like I had, I've had a coworker who used to use fireworks to do UX design to give you some context. And then you've got these other, on the flip side, you've got these UX designers who like make great pixel perfect uh, UX designs and mock-ups. But when it comes to thinking about the bigger picture, you kind of have to like prod them a bit. So mm -hmm. it's all about like flipping your coaching styles because not every, not every UX designer is built the same nor thinks the same. And that's like a blessing because obviously it gives you diversity, but you do have to adjust your coaching style for, so if you're used to teaching a certain way, it's not going to work if you have a team of very diverse minds. So. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Also because we're like the same, like the user problems that we're always trying to solve is never the same too. Exactly. Yeah. So like use the user, use the approach that you take for like different use cases and user problems. And maybe the UX designer that you're managing is the use case. That sounds I mean, terrible, but it's true. I, I, hey, I actually believe it. And I actually even thought about using a UX <laughs> design case on this podcast as well, because this is all this user based because we're doing like we're, you know, we're creating a team of people that are actually having the experience in of itself to create experience for other people. You know, it's like, it, it feels very meta, <laughs> kind of like it's, an inception way. It is, it is kind of like an inception kind of way, but it's always so rewarding when you create like a really good culture, like one of the things that I've done to like increase my team's culture is that we started a little like sticker library in Figma where it's not meant for serious use, but we just like have the opportunity to like create stickers and then we can use them in Fig Jam for like team activities or like maybe something to like make their right because we use Fig Jam for like ideation at times. Mm -hmm. Like I, I encourage just because, and so if a UX designer while they're in the middle of like brainstorming something, they want to use a fun little sticker that one of their team made just to like, cause sometimes having something a little fun makes, if you're, helps you get unstuck from a problem at times. Mm -hmm. Cause you're just, cause you're like looking at it from a different perspective or you're it's, it's a or it makes it just time go by a little easier. That's one thing, um, having just like special events, like during the pandemic, we couldn't do in-person activities anymore. So one of my uh, teammates, he, he's been leading our organizing game nights and that's always been great for team morale. So, but we oh. do a lot more than just like game nights and like fun little stickers. We, mm -hmm. we focus, I think focusing the cult team culture on like collaboration, not 
competition per se, mm-hmm. because we're all striving for the same thing. So why would we compete? It's not like a test or a game. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, yeah, we're you know it's all about just trying to help each other out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Malin, what would we say is the biggest lesson you're you've learned in your career so far? The biggest lesson that I've learned in my career is, uh, let's see, the biggest lesson, I think it's, that's a hard one. Yeah, I know. I, I know. It's, it's, <laughs> I know it's one of my, probably the hardest hitting question, so to speak, I have because of, it really puts into perspective of where the, uh, the the biggest thing impact that you are now having and that's now improving into your life since then yeah. you know, a lot of times i know a lot of times it's like the good thing about it is like oh uh, how would they people have learned from their like their biggest mistakes a lot of people have learned from meeting a really a uh, real cool person that was able to give them the advice they to find themselves you know it's like a lot a lot of great stuff like that like i would say like one of my biggest impact was like but like learning that there's actually people who want to talk with me on a podcast. Like for the longest time, I had these mental blocks of feeling like a nobody. I felt like I was, uh, I had nothing to offer. Who would want to talk with me? And it turns out that's not true. If you reach out to a lot of people, there's so many people who would say yes. Like, you know, like I'll even just tell you, like I reached out to five people yesterday. I heard a response back from all five and all four wow. of them said, yes. One of them says, Try, uh, uh, contact me in a month. Wow. That's, that's awesome to hear. Yeah, I guess it's like the lesson that I have is like always have like a growth mindset. UX is a constantly changing field. Like remember, I remember like about like five years ago, Sketch was like the dominant tool. And now Figma is kind of like becoming like the more dominant tool that a lot of users are switching over to. I personally became a really dominant, I was a dominant Figma user back when Sketch was still like a little dominant, mainly because I was like, couldn't afford Sketch at the time and Figma was free. (laughs) But now I think that has kind of like paid off because I am a very dominant Figma user and I think it's a great tool personally. And, but anyways, um, always have a growth mindset ux is constantly changing the software is constantly changing Mm -hmm. um and then if you're transitioning into like a more people and in order to become like a leader or a senior you kind of always have to like have that growth mindset especially if you're like changing like like changing ux going from one ux job to another ux job is not very simple when one is like a radically different industry. Like you're designing UX from business to B2C and then you go into B2B and those are wildly different use cases and you have to relearn like the whole prop, the whole persona and use cases. And then when you're transitioning from like a UX designer to a UX leader, you have to really like learn about like, okay, how can I be the best leader? How can I set a really great culture? And how, and what are some, th- and do I really want to be like a UX manager? Because I think, and this is kind of the case with like software engineering, like I want to say 10, 
20 years ago where the only really upward growth that you could have was like going into management. Thankfully, mm-hmm. with like principal, the role of like principals, I think Google has like the t- title distinguished engineer now, which is like a, a an individual contributor role equivalent to like a VP. And uh, don't quote me on that because I, I have not worked on Google, but that's at least what I've read. But there's like mm-hmm. so many like opportunities to become like a great individual contributor, like UX designer and still be like rewarded like the same way as like a UX manager or like a UX director. So mm-hmm. that's, I would say like really consider like, do I really want to be like a UX manager? Do I have the temperament? Is this in line with my goals? UX management is like, is a, I, I like to say, and based on what I've heard from other UX people, UX management is a job change, not a promotion. So mm-hmm. you are doing, you're still in the UX space, but your tool set is going to be a little different. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's why I know a lot of people who go freelancing because of that, because they don't want to be a manager position. They'd want to, you know, stay with the actual designing aspects of it. And yeah. I think that's like, yeah, even though that's like, it's also kind of like its own kind of like lifestyle change now, because now, uh, you know, like your cl- the clients can change. The work environments can change stuff like that but yeah i know but it just definitely like holds the same spirit for a lot of people who want to be able to progress in their career yeah and i'm starting to like see at some companies uh where the instead of like they're offering like you see a lot more like ux lead roles or you principal ux designer roles where mm-hmm. you're still rewarded in like the same way as like a director would be or like at least like a manager but but you still get to do that individual contributor role. And some people are better as individual contributors. It takes a lot of great reflection. And some people do really well as managers. And I think just before you consider UX management, like sit down, think about what you really want to do. What's the best tra- trajectory? Like I know some UX and if it's, and it's not all about the pay. Like I know some individual contributors who are really high up at their companies who get paid more than the managers. So don't focus on the pay, focus on like what track do you really want to go? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's definitely an important lesson to learn from this. Yeah. So as we're drawing close to this episode, what's the best way to reach out to you and be able to, uh, check out any of the work you have done okay so um a lot of my unfortunately a lot of my work that i'm doing right now is under nda so you won't be able Mm -hmm. to like access anything on my portfolio at madelinebelay.com however on my portfolio there is a link to a lot of the uh talks and writing that i've done on medium I would say, and there's also like a link to, there's also like my photography portfolio, which is not under NDA because it's something that I do in my spare time just for Mm -hmm. funsies. But I would say if you really want to like check me out now, even though I have a lot of drafts just like sitting in my medium, I would say check me out on medium at Madeline B. Lay. Uh, that's M-A-D-E-L-E-I-N-E 
B-L-E. So, and also, and you're more than welcome to check out my website to just get an overview of where I write in and some of my photography, if you're interested in that. I do headshots and my spare yeah. time, so. Hey, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, all links of that will be found in the show notes so you can easily check out Madeline's work. Yes. Uh, uh, also, any closing words you'd like our audience to know about? Any closing words? Yeah. Um, I would say, like, another thing that I wanted to, like, make mention is that I've talked about, like, UX management and, like, UX stuff. But honestly, don't underestimate, like, managers don't underestimate a junior UX designer. Hmm. I have seen like junior UX designers solve problems that has left senior people stumped. And then hmm. second of all, for any like UX designer who's just like getting into them, please remove aspiring UX designer off of it because it means that you're not fully committed to it. Just yes. say you're an intro UX you're a junior UX designer. That's it. You will, or like a UX student. That's so, well, so. I don't true. know about UX student, but you are a UX designer. You are yeah. a UX designer who is very early on in your career. You should stop taking aspiring out of it. And I would say for any UX designer, junior UX designers, get started. Look for work when you can, but make sure you're getting compensated. Fairly, I think with a lot of UX junior UX designers, this has happened to me. Sometimes we get underpaid for our work. I think I've heard stories of students who just like end up doing UX design for free for like mostly low level stuff, not like companies or anything. But mm -hmm. I heard of like one girl who took a UX design internship and she was only getting paid. $20 like a day and that's terrible I've been lucky to like mm. find companies where I get paid fairly so know your worth make sure you get compensated for like your UX design work young students because young junior UX designers unfortunately get taken advantage of a lot yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's the case anymore because it's becoming a lot better for junior UX designers to come in. And then for those of you who are considering management, really sit down and think about it because it is a big job change. Mm -hmm. That was a lot of closing statements, but. <laughs> yeah, I feel a lot of those things need to be said, especially, you know, like the aspiring part because like, you know, you, you either are or you aren't, you know, it's like, you, like do you want to be one? Then, you know, you need to make your identity become a part of that. Yeah. And junior designers, know your worth because what I think it's like, yes, you can do stuff for free. Like if it's like you're volunteering at a nonprofit that maybe can't afford to pay you, that's that's a little different than like a company like the student, I, the story of the student I told you, just being taken completely advantage of for, for yeah. a for-profit company. Unfortunately, yeah. I think that's happening to a lesser extent now than than when I was like more junior, but it still happens and it's kind of sad. And I just wish a lot of you junior UX designers would know their worth. So yeah, 
Yeah, no, it definitely happens a lot with the graphic design industry and a lot of and a lot of like students think that they can get uh that it's okay because it's easy, it's fun. But also need need to remember is it's not just your time and work they're paying for it, but it's also your mind and how you are solving their visual problems they're paying for. Exactly. And that's the same with like UX design too. Like UX design requires thought. It requires research. It's a science and you should get paid for your science. So. Yep. Very, I know, very powerful statement. Thank you so much, Madeline, for being here. All right. Thank you so much, Nick, for having me. Yeah. Please do support our guests. And until then, you just listen to the UX Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Mann. Thank you for listening.